Paul called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours, grace to you and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift. As you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified by you, or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one may say that you were baptized in my name. I did baptize also the household of Stephanas. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied, emptied of his power. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of uh, for since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs, and Greeks seek, seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man, and the weakness of God is stronger than man. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. 
God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. That was Santiago. He's one of our GC leaders, and next time I'm wanting him to read in Spanish, so he'll be good. Let's pray. God in heaven, we come before you. Uh, help us to come underneath your word right now. I pray that we would operate as a family, that we would operate as one even in this moment, uh, that as we look at your words, as we examine them, that we would uh, come away uh, boasting in you, bragging on you as our king, as our Lord, as our savior. Um, so Jesus, open our hearts up. Spirit, would you be here and carry us here and into the week. And it's in your name we pray, amen. So we just began a new series. It's seven weeks long. It's titled, Why Church? And the purpose of the series is to go through our identity statement at Radiant. Our identity statement is that we are a family of missionary servants sent to be and make disciples that make disciples. And ask, what is the point? Why? And some of you have been through a series like this before, or maybe you're familiar with some of the language that is being used, but what we're wanting to do is not so much regurgitate uh, new knowledge as we're wanting to hold up scripture like a mirror and ask ourselves, are we living and being the church that God has called us to be? Are we being the church on his term, or are we being the church on our own terms? And to be able to do that so that we can move forward this season being unified together. That we are operating genuinely as a family of missionary servants. So, last week we took a deep dive into three images that God uses to describe the church. We started in Genesis as our launching point and we were jumping all the way through the Old Testament into the, into the New and these three images is that the church is Jesus' temple embodying his presence, reflecting it to the world that has been separated by sin. The church is Jesus' kingdom fighting against the kingdom of darkness and evil in our world. And the church is Jesus' body displaying radical love to those who desperately need it. Those are three images, three metaphors, and the whole point in coming to the end of that sermon was just to simply ask, how much does God value the church if he describes it this way? Not only in the very beginning in Genesis, but he uses this throughout the entire Bible describing his people. How much does God value and love his church? And if that's the case, how much should we value this church? How much should we value one another as we even look around this room? How much should we value this little expression of his global church called Radiant Church Fairbanks? That was the question that we ended in. So what we are going into today is asking the question, why gospel-centered? Why the gospel? And that's not included in our identity statement. And, but it is the undergirding of all that we are. 
So I just want to ask something before we jump into this sermon series, and I would like some verbal response from you to this question. What do Alaskans boast in? What are we proud of, people? Ice dogs. Ice dogs, yes. Come on. Independence. Independence. Fish. Fish, yep. Good beer. Good beer. Flannel shirts. We were the OGs. What was that? We can tough it out. Yeah. Alaskan tough. Individuality. Still looking for one. Come on, there's one more. Toys. Okay, that's it. Come on, people. Texas. Yeah, we're the biggest. We're two, I mean, it's to the point. This is what's great is Texas has to brag about it, but we're so confident. It's like we don't even need to... We don't even need to jump into that arena. You're just out. We're out of your league, so don't even worry about it, right? We could keep going with this. I mean, if we're honest, like Alaskans are, <laughs> we're some of the most prideful people <laughs> as far as states are concerned. I uh, have been going to seminary for the last year and a half. It's in Richmond, Virginia, and I, I hadn't spent a lot of time out of state in a while. Like, I'd done little trips, and so it was bringing back those old memories of you're the Alaskan, you're the weird like from the polar north and all this, you know, crazy questions that come from that. And people always asking, like, how cold is it now when you're traveling over there? And to be honest, there's a part of me that (laughs) really enjoys that. (laughs) It feels pretty darn good. And you're proud of yourself. Or if you've gone to a foreign country, you never say, like, I'm part of the U.S. You're like, no, I'm Alaskan. And it it helps. (laughs) But We have all these things that we can boast in as Alaskans. But when it comes to Jesus and making our boast in him, why is it that we struggle with that? Even as believers, even as people who have grown up maybe in the church our whole life, if we're like outside of the church context, or to be frank, even within a building of people coming to worship Jesus, it's awkward to like point to Jesus in our life, to actually make our boast, to brag on Jesus in what he's doing. Maybe not for everyone, but I know for a lot of people, that's the case. It feels weird, or it feels not relevant to the situation, or maybe that we are um, kind of, we don't want to be associated with those kind of Christians who talk the talk but don't walk the walk, whatever it may be. We get excited about moose kills, graduating from high school, college, a promotion, getting a house. But then when it comes to Jesus, like, it falls flat. Like, it doesn't seem to have the same energy. So, what if each time you encountered someone in your work with a problem, you are immediately drawing them to prayer, or just even asking, hey, can I pray for you? And if they say no, like, oh, that's all right, you like, you can silently pray for them. What if when someone asked how your day was going, you could genuinely point to Jesus? Meaning like, not in a fake way, but like if you're having a lousy day, it's like, man, I've got to depend on Jesus today. It's just one of those days, and I'm looking to him because it's tough. Or maybe you're having a great day, and you can say, you know what, it's been awesome. Praise Jesus. He's the one who's been helping me. What if, what if your kids were sick of you talking about GC or about what Jesus is doing throughout your life within your church community? 
My kids get sick of me talking about disc golf because I'm a nerd and I like that kind of a thing. But what if they were sick of me talking about Jesus all the time and not just when I'm preaching on a Sunday afternoon, but when I'm hanging out with them on a Monday morning? So this week we're asking that question, why the gospel? And maybe, maybe this is the easiest question to ask of all, or maybe it's going to be one of the most convicting and hardest questions to really answer. Not at a surface level, but at a heart level. Why the gospel? Why should we be centered on that? So we're going to start off with a definition of gospel. If you haven't hung out in church, unfortunately, the term gospel is used to describe everything under the sun, like anything Christian could be labeled gospel. But let's let's think about it for a minute. The gospel is the good news about Jesus, who Jesus is, and what he has done, what he is doing, and what he will do. R.C. Sproul put it this way, on the lips of Jesus, the gospel was about the dramatic moment in history when through the long-awaited Messiah, the kingdom of God had broken through in time and space. The good news was the good news of the kingdom. By the time the epistles were written, particularly the Pauline epistles, the term gospel had taken on a new shade of understanding. It had become the gospel of Jesus Christ. Gospel had a clear content to it. At the heart of this gospel was the announcement of who Jesus was and what he had accomplished in his lifetime. Or the gospel is the good news about Jesus, who Jesus is, and what he accomplished on the cross and through his resurrection, what he's doing in our lives today, and what he will do when he returns. So I want to spell that out because the gospel can be one of those funky terms that's hard to nail down sometimes in everyday life. So another way to look at the gospel message is when we think about those images, the church being a body, the church being a temple, the church being a kingdom. The gospel message is like the nerves that connect the body of Christ to the head, Jesus. The gospel message is like the mortar in between the stones of the temple. The gospel is the message that captures hearts for Jesus' kingdom. It's what keeps us in the right direction and saying the same thing. It is the very message that saved each and every one of us. It's what unifies us. So now we come to this letter. And I appreciate that that Santi, Santiago, read, read the whole first chapter. Because what we're encountering is a church who begins doing church on their own terms. As we read through this first chapter, and honestly, when you read through the whole letter, you start realizing that there's a lot of mess going on in the city of Corinth, particularly in the church. They're getting misdirected. They're looking at the wrong things rather than Jesus. And so Paul writes this letter to bring them back to what matters the most, the gospel, because they were getting off base. They weren't using the message about Jesus that had changed their lives as a means to continue to live their life for Jesus. They were trusting in other things and it led them to be a people God, it led them away from being the people God had called them to be. So what we're looking about, what we're looking at today is we're learning from Corinth and as we are hoping not to fall into the same ditches they fell into, the main point is to keep boasting in Jesus. It's so easy for us to 
in the moment, in those times where God really shows up, it's easy to be like, oh man, I'm on fire, I'm praising him. But as we move away from those times, and whether it's because we become lax in our faith or other things, all of a sudden we stop boasting in Jesus. It becomes dry, it becomes dusty. So here at Radiant, we want to keep boasting in Jesus. Because in the gospel, we have the greatest appeal. In the gospel, we have the greatest power. And in the gospel, we have the greatest calling. So my hope and prayer for all of us is that we walk away today boasting in Jesus. So starting in verse 10 through 16, we're going to look at how in the gospel we have an appeal. Paul says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one may say that you were baptized in my name. I did baptize also the household of Stephanas. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. So we see Paul making an appeal. Now think about what an appeal is. If you've dealt with the legal system, the highest power of authority in our judicial system is the Supreme Court. That's where we can make our greatest appeal. So what Paul is doing is he's going to the greatest source of authority as he comes to correct the church. He goes to the name of Jesus. Now if you look at the first few verses, like verse 3 through 9, you see a couple of ways that Paul has already set up. He's already reminded them of the name of Jesus and how because of the good news of Jesus, their lives have been radically changed. So in verse three through four, we see that in Jesus, they have grace. They have favor with God. In Jesus, they are enriched in all speech, in all knowledge. In Jesus, in verse seven, they are lacking in no gift. In verse eight, Jesus sustains them until the end. And again in verse 8, Jesus makes them guiltless. And lastly, in verse 9, Jesus has a deep fellowship, a deep relationship with them. So Paul is reminding the church, they have been radically and irrevocably changed because they have put their faith in Jesus because of what he accomplished for them on the cross and through the resurrection. Paul has them look to Jesus because by his name, his authority, his power, Paul is calling them to change how they're living right now because they've gotten off base, gotten distracted. Divisions are starting to crop up within their church. So Paul points, first of all, to the authority of Jesus so they can become united. I mean, this is radical in some ways. What, what, what does he call them to do? That the gospel should unite them? That there shouldn't be any division? The gospel causes us to have the same mind and the same judgment. And man, this sounds nice when you're reading it within scripture. But I think what's hard is if we sit there for a little bit and ask ourselves, man, is this us? Is this radiant? It can sound like a fairy tale. 
It can sound like, man, are we of the same mind? Are we of the same judgment? But then Paul takes this appeal, not only to point to how they should be, but also to go against their disunity. Because the church is taking sides based on their preference of a leader. Paul is better. No Apollos, no Cephas, which is referring to the disciple Peter. And then, almost worse, it's like, no, Jesus is the higher authority. Which I remember when I was younger, because I struggled a lot with um, my pride. I was like, oh man, I'm totally in Camp Jesus. Like, that's the obvious answer, duh. But what's horrible about how it's being used right now is they're using the name of Jesus for disunity. They're using the name of Jesus to prop themselves up rather than pointing up to him, rather than seeking to draw the brothers and sisters back together. So Paul is saying, stop. Like, what you're doing is against Jesus, which is why he makes the comment about baptism. We celebrated a baptism recently, and it is a powerful moment where someone is not only uniting themselves with Jesus in his death and in his resurrection, but they're uniting themselves with the church. And that's why Paul takes us seriously. That's why he's saying, like, I'm so glad I didn't baptize you, because how hypocritical would that be? If you're saying, yeah, we're united, we're together, we're in Jesus, but then they're being divided. Their arguments and divisions were anti-Jesus. They were anti-gospel. So Paul appeals to the highest authority. Jesus must be over all. He must not be treated as optional when it comes to how we operate. Their growing belief and faith in the gospel determines their potency of the, as a church. And it's the same for us right now. So in everything, we need to all of us together make our appeal to a higher authority. We need to make our appeal in how we work together to Jesus. We need to continue helping each other look to him and remind ourselves of how the gospel has radically changed us. Because our struggle here, partly because of the reasons that we talked about here in Alaska, we, that we boast in our independence, we boast in our self-sufficiency, our divisions, while they can be loud and obvious, a lot of times they're happening in here. The way that we judge others, the way that we're frustrated with others, the way that we perceive one another often happens in here or that we're talking with others besides the one we have trouble with because we, it's, it's part of our culture. And that's where I want to challenge us, where if those divisions are creeping up, they keep us from being potent in the gospel, from being a powerful force, from being that kingdom that we're supposed to be, from being that temple, from being the body. And so we need to come before Jesus. We need to repent. We need to, in our repentance, appeal to Jesus as the higher authority, to submit ourselves, to recognize where we're wrong, where maybe we've been self-righteous, where we've been putting ourselves aloof above other people, and come and repent and make peace and see each other as valuable as Jesus sees one another. So we have an appeal in Jesus Christ, a higher authority that we can all look to because we have a Lord who's not a distant judge who could care less about your problems, but he's the Lord who came and died for our problems, 
for our brokenness, for the sin that infects our world. Because we have him who listens and cares, we keep boasting in Jesus. We can keep boasting in Jesus tomorrow. We can boast in Jesus this week, and we can boast to Jesus to one another and to those who are in our spheres of influence. We can also boast in Jesus because we have power in his name. So starting in verse 17, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, it says, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God, and the wisdom of God. So we have power. If you look at verse 17 and 18, Paul has a purpose in what he comes to do in the church. He has come to preach. And another phrase that's used to describe what he has preached is the word of the cross, which is another way to define the gospel, the word of the cross. When the, word of, uh, when the word of the cross is preached by the power of the Spirit, God's wisdom and power is at work. That's one of the reasons we gather every week is for the word of God to be preached. And it's not about one person like myself who's coming up here and being a tour guide through Scripture. It takes both the one who's speaking and the one who's listening. You have to be aware of how God is speaking to you through this word. You have to keep your ears attentive, your spirit open, and not closed off. So we, that's the reason why we might preach a sermon every week, and it's also why we preach Christ in every sermon, because of this passage. Because Paul is saying, this is where we find everything that we need for life. We point to the inexhaustible knowledge of God and the incomparable power of God through Jesus. So we see within this, within the preaching of the word, within the word of God, that it is folly for those who are perishing, but it's power and wisdom for those who believe. So let's wrestle with that. Why is that the case? Because those who trust in the world, those who are putting their hope in the wisdom that they find outside of Christ, those who are looking for power elsewhere, it's going to be emptied at some point. It's not inexhaustible. The power and wisdom we find in this world will be exhausted. But what is the wisdom of the world? What, what, was, what were they thinking when, when Paul penned these words? Stephen T. Um says this, when they thought of wisdom, they were primarily concerned with gaining intellectual knowledge that could be leveraged for the purpose of attaining influence and power. 
So we can see why that would cause division. Oftentimes when we're building ourselves up in our own knowledge or our own power, we're pitting ourselves and comparing ourselves to other people. And when that doesn't match up, division starts to crop up. Pride starts to take control. So there's a, there's a quote you'll see in verse 19, and it's from Jeremiah 9.23. It says, Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, let not the mighty man boast in his might, let not the rich man boast in his riches. And then it says after that, but let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who, that, who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For these things I delight, declares the Lord. We can be consumed in seeking the wisdom and the power of this world. What is it for you? Think about it for a minute. I mean, like, actually take a moment. What is the wisdom or the knowledge that you're trusting in? What is the power that you hope will rescue you? When we get consumed by the wisdom and the power of the world, the good news of Jesus becomes dry and dusty. We begin treating it like a fairy tale rather than the truth that it is, rather than it being the essence of life within us. So how does it become power and wisdom for us? Those who desire true power and wisdom become saved through the folly of preaching. When, when preaching is done right, it isn't about prestige. It isn't about trying to you know, get people riled up and feeling good for 30 minutes. When preaching is done right, we should all leave in awe of God's word, in awe of, the, of his power and what he's doing. Real preaching is revealing because it's lifting up God's for everyone to see. It's like pulling a cloak off of Jesus so that we can see him better, so that we can know him better. This message about Jesus becomes power because it's about the resurrection. When you read through the New Testament, there's often references to resurrection power. So what more power could you need than that? That is power that doesn't have an end. That is power that leads to eternal life. And that's why the second part of that quote from Jeremiah is so important when it says, but let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. When you know that God, the God of steadfast love, of justice and righteousness, he's the one who's on your side. You don't have to depend on your own power. You don't have to manufacture your own wisdom. You don't have to be the smartest one. You don't have to be the most powerful one you've got such a power behind you that you can be confident in how you move forward in life. You can be confident in bringing decisions before him and following him. Psalms 42, one through two says, as the deer pants for flowing streams, so, my soul, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? And I want to encourage you, because I've been in those places before where you read scripture or you read the gospel or it's something you know, and maybe it's hard 
maybe it doesn't make sense for you that day, or you're just going through a period in time where you're getting consumed by other things, and, and you know in your heart that this has become a fairy tale, that it's dry and dusty, and it doesn't really mean anything to you. Cry out to Jesus. In fact, I encourage you, like, read through the rest of Psalm 42, where it talks about desiring God, your soul panting after God, because what it, where it goes from those verses is to one of David's most gun-wrenching psalms, where he cries out and he's like, my tears are my food day in and day out. So when you find yourself in that place, we easily go to like, man, I'm just not a good enough Christian, this sucks, I, I don't want to be here, when it's an opportunity for you to go and put your faith in the one who has true power and wisdom for you. Jesus has the power of the resurrection which makes us alive and flies in the face of the world's wisdom and the world's power. So, in, so radiant church, we keep boasting in Jesus. We keep boasting in his power. Even when it feels like we're knocked down, we know what the eternal end is. We know where our soul is secure. So even when there's tears coming down our face, we can keep boasting in Jesus. And lastly, we can boast in Jesus because we have a calling in Jesus. Picking up in verse 26, it says, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are so that no human being may boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Calling. This is a term that has been used in many different ways within the church. A lot of times, at least if you grew up in the church, you heard calling, it was kind of this mystical thing of like, oh man, like God's called me the ministry, calls me to preach, um, calling me to do these different things. And there's some truth in that, so hear me in that. But when you read in the Bible, most often, uh, almost 100% of the time, calling is simply referring to the fact that God called you out of sin and darkness and saved you into his light. So if you're a follower of Jesus, you are called. They're, they're like, Know that you are called. And what does that mean for us? <laughs> Think about the hope and the joy and the peace that comes from knowing that Christ called you. Because when we get calling, when we get the gospel, when we really get it, we understand that we are nothing that we aren't wise, that we don't have any good status, that we don't have any real power because all of a sudden we, we see the world for what it is, that it's shallow, that it's empty. When I went through a, a tragedy in my life, the way I described it was like I had my life built up on these different pillars, like my own goodness, my, and like re, my own religion. My, um, I had it built up on my future and what I thought was going to happen, a career. I had it built up on all these things. But when tragedy hit, all that crumbled like sand, and I realized I had nothing. 
And that's why this passage should give you hope. That's why Paul is trying to remind them. He's trying to pull them back down to earth. He's like, no, don't go build your arguments and wisdom on all that sand over there. Come back to the rock that is Jesus. Come, pl- come back to that place of humility and of boasting in Jesus. Because remember, you were, you were nothing. You were nothing. Even if some of these believers in this church maybe had a large house or were, had status in the city, if they came to know Jesus, they realized that meant nothing. It was, it was garbage. It was junk. We don't have anything to offer to God when it comes to salvation. God has everything to offer us. When we come to Jesus, we realize how empty we are, but then we, we experience the joy of him filling us up, of him being that all-powerful God behind us, the one who called us, the one who we can appeal to, who listens to us. And that's how we boast in Jesus. Because when we're emptied of ourself, when we don't have the world to lean on, then it's, it's all Jesus. And everything that we do in our life, from our parenting to our work to anything that we do, even just waking up in the morning. Uh, I was hanging out with the Radiant Youth with Mike Donaldson, and he does such a fantastic job with science. And he was just describing the invisible forces and something science that that proved that. It was really awesome. <laughs> I'm not a scientist. But it was really cool to see him do his work. And when you get that, when you get that Jesus is the one holding your molecules together, that even the greatest scientists don't understand how atoms are actually stay the way that they're supposed to stay. How amazing, how brilliant is that? What better thing would you want to boast in? What better thing would you want to hold on to? And when he calls us, what that also means is there's nothing that gets in the way of us connecting with the one who is all-powerful. He's the one who pursued us. Jesus is the one who overcame the gap we have between God. He's the one who took our shame, our darkness, our sin upon him so that those who call upon the name of Jesus, those who make their appeal to Jesus, might be saved. There is nothing that gets in the way of Jesus, the truest lover who pursued us when we didn't deserve it, so we keep boasting in Jesus. There is nothing that gets in the way of the wisdom of Jesus leading us, so we keep boasting in Jesus. Jesus had ultimate power to overcome sin in our lives by his death and resurrection, making us, as it says in this text, righteous, sanctified, and redeemed, so we keep boasting in Jesus. Jesus called us, and no one can take that away, so we keep boasting in Jesus. We are the temple reflecting Jesus' presence to a broken world, so we keep boasting in Jesus. We are the kingdom destroying Satan's stronghold, so we keep boasting in Jesus. We are the body showing Jesus' love to the broken, so we keep boasting in Jesus. When we do this, there won't be any divisions because we are consumed with boasting in Jesus. I just want to end on this quote. Uh, It's from Francis Chan. Our lack of praise may actually be the biggest cause of our divisions. Once we stop worshiping, all hope for unity is lost. That is what united us. We can't stop talking about the treasure we have in Jesus. It's hard to start an argument with someone who is on her knees shouting praises to Jesus, especially when you're busy blessing the Lord as well. 
Many of our problems could be reconciled if we discussed our concerns on our knees before a holy God. Let's pray. Jesus, we come before you. And God, help us as a body, help us as a church right now, even in this moment, repent. Repent where we've been appealing to other things. Help us repent where we've trusted other powers and other wisdom that doesn't come from you. Help us to repent when we've forgotten that you've called us. And I pray for anyone here who is curious about Jesus, who might not know you, God, as Savior, that they would just be in awe and come to see that you're the only power worth putting trust in. So Jesus, help us to repent, but also help us to take joy. Even right now, as, as we come to respond to your word right now, help us to boast in you. Help us to brag on you as our Savior and as our King. God, wherever anyone is at, whether they're at the bottom of a pit, struggling to make it hour to hour, day to day, or whether um, it's just the busyness of life, of kids, sports, and all, and all that, Jesus. I just pray that, um, God, break the pillars that we might be resting on that aren't worth it and help us come back to you. Help us to be unified and mobilized as we move into this next season, Jesus. Help us to know beyond a shadow of a doubt what it means, what it means for the gospel to be the center of everything that we do. We thank you, Jesus, and we pray this in your name. Amen. We are going to take a time of response in singing, but also in communion. Communion is boasting in Jesus every week. It's saying it's only by the fact that your body was broken, that your blood was shed, that I have life. So I encourage you, come in joy. Come in celebration of what Jesus has done. And maybe come in repentance and be like, God, bring me back. Bring me back to worshiping and boasting in you because of what you've done. So if you're following Jesus, please take time for communion. Worship Jesus through communion. And then uh, let's sing together. But it doesn't stop when our time here is done. We continue the boasting. We keep boasting in Jesus.